felt the peaceful confirming witness of the Holy Ghost. Naturally, I invited her to share her contact information and continue the conversation with our missionaries. She was happy to do so. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, the Book of Mormon says, to love, share, and invite as we gather Israel in all our communities and families, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace and doctrine of the Holy Messiah. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The ancient prophet Enoch described in the Old Testament, the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, was instrumental in establishing the city of Zion. The scriptural account of Enoch's call to serve indicates that he heard a voice from heaven saying, Enoch, my son, prophesy unto this people and say unto them, repent, for their hearts have waxed hard and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes cannot see afar off. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth and spake before the Lord, saying, Why is it that I have found favor in thy sight, and am but a lad, and all the people hate me, for I am slow of speech, wherefore am I thy servant? Please notice that at the time of Enoch's call to serve, he became acutely aware of his personal inadequacies and limitations. And I suspect all of us at one time or another in our church service have felt much like Enoch. But I believe the Lord's response to Enoch's pleading question is instructive and applies to each of us today. And the Lord said unto Enoch, Go forth and do as I have commanded thee, and no man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth, and it shall be filled, and I will give thee utterance. Behold, my spirit is upon you, wherefore all thy words will I justify. And the mountains shall flee before you, and the rivers shall turn from their course. And thou shalt abide in me, and I in you. Therefore, walk with me. Enoch ultimately became a mighty prophet, and a tool in God's hands to accomplish a great work. But he did not start his ministry that way. Rather, his capacity over time was magnified as he learned to abide in and walk with the Son of God. I earnestly pray for the help of the Holy Ghost as we consider together the counsel given to Enoch by the Lord and what it can mean for you and me today. The Lord Jesus Christ extends to each of us the invitation to abide in him. But how do we actually learn and come to abide in him? The word abide denotes remaining fixed or stable and enduring without yielding. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland explained that abiding as an action means, quote, to stay, but to stay forever. That is the call of the gospel message to everyone in the world. Come, but come to remain. Come with conviction and endurance. 
come permanently for your sake and the sake of all the generations who must follow you. Close quote. Thus, we abide in Christ as we are firm and steadfast in our devotion to the Redeemer and his holy purposes in times both good and bad. We begin to ex- we begin to abide in the Lord by exercising our moral agency to take upon ourselves his yoke through the covenants and ordinances of the restored gospel. The covenant connection we have with our Heavenly Father and his resurrected and living Son is the supernal source of perspective, hope, power, peace, and enduring joy. It also is the rock-solid foundation upon which we should build our lives. We abide in him by striving continually to strengthen our individual covenant bond with the Father and the Son. For example, praying sincerely to the Eternal Father in the name of his beloved Son deepens and fortifies our covenant connection with them. We abide in him by truly feasting upon the words of Christ. The Savior's doctrine draws us as children of the covenant closer to him and will tell us all things what we should do. We abide in him by preparing earnestly to participate in the ordinance of the sacrament, reviewing and reflecting on our covenant promises and repenting sincerely. Worthily partaking of the sacrament is a witness to God that we are willing to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and strive to always remember him after the brief period of time required to participate in that sacred ordinance. And we abide in him by serving God as we serve his children and minister to our brothers and sisters. The Savior said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I briefly have described several of the many ways we can abide in the Savior, and I now invite each of us as his disciples to ask, seek, knock, and learn for ourselves by the power of the Holy Ghost other meaningful ways we can make Christ the center of our lives in all that we do. The Savior's promise to his followers is twofold. If we abide in him, he will abide in us. But is it indeed possible for Christ to abide in you and me individually and personally? The answer to this question is a resounding yes. In the Book of Mormon, we learn about Alma's teaching and testifying to the poor, whose afflictions had compelled them to be humble. In his instruction, he compared the word to a seed that must be planted and nourished. And he described the word as the life, the mission, and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Alma said, Begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people, and that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins and that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection, that all men shall stand before him to be judged at the last and judgment day 
according to their works. Now, brothers and sisters, given this description of the word by Alma, please consider the inspiring connection he then identifies. And now I desire that ye shall plant this word in your hearts. And as it beginneth to swell, even so nourish it by your faith. And behold, it will become a tree springing up in you unto everlasting life. And then may God grant unto you that your burdens may be light through the joy of his son. And even all this can ye do if ye will. The seed we should strive to plant in our hearts is the word, even the life, mission, and doctrine of Jesus Christ. And as the word is nourished by faith, it can become a tree springing up in us unto everlasting life. What was the symbolism of the tree in Lehi's vision? The tree can be considered as a representation of Jesus Christ. My beloved brothers and sisters, is the word in us are the truths of the Savior's gospel written in the fleshy tables of our hearts? Are we coming unto and gradually becoming more like him? Is the tree of Christ growing in us? Are we striving to become new creatures in him? Perhaps this miraculous potential inspired Alma to ask, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? We should always remember the Lord's instruction to Enoch. Thou shalt abide in me and I in you. And I testify the Savior's promise to abide in us is true and available to every covenant-keeping member of his restored church. The Apostle Paul admonished believers who had received the Lord, so walk ye in him. Walking in and with the Savior highlights two vital aspects of discipleship. One, obeying God's commandments, and two, remembering and honoring the sacred covenants that connect us to the Father and the Son. John declared, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abided in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Jesus beckons to each of us, come follow me and walk with me. I testify that as we press forward in faith and walk in the meekness of the Lord's spirit, we are blessed with power, guidance, protection, and peace. Alma describes a loving entreaty from the Lord to all living souls. Behold, he sendeth an invitation to all men, for the arms of mercy are extended towards them. And he saith, repent 
and I will receive you. Come unto me, and ye shall partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Yea, ye shall eat and drink of the bread and the waters of life freely. I emphasize the absolute comprehensiveness of the Savior's plea. He yearns to bless with his grace and mercy every single person who now lives, who has ever lived, and who will yet live upon the earth. Some church members accept as true the doctrine, principles, and testimonies proclaimed repeatedly from this pulpit in the conference center and in local congregations around the world, and yet may struggle to believe these eternal truths apply specifically in their lives and to their circumstances. They believe sincerely and serve dutifully, but their covenant connection with the Father and his redeeming Son has not yet become a living and transforming reality in their lives. I promise that by the power of the Holy Ghost, you can know and feel the gospel truths I have attempted to describe are for you, for you individually and personally. I joyfully witness that Jesus Christ is our loving and living Savior and Redeemer. If we abide in him, he will abide in us. And as we walk in and with him, we will be blessed to bring forth much fruit. I so testify in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At the conclusion of the conference, we express sincere appreciation to all who have worked so diligently to prepare for these services. We thank those who have spoken and those who have provided the uplifting music. The concluding speaker of this session will be our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. Following his remarks, the choir will close this conference by singing, I know that my Redeemer lives. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Yanka A. O. Chitterin of the 70, and the conference will be adjourned. Brothers and sisters, we have been spiritually fed during these last two days. The choir music was superb. Those who have, those who have spoken have been instruments for the Lord. I pray that you will seek for the Holy Ghost to guide you in your study as you contemplate the truths taught from this pulpit. They have truly been heaven sent. One week from today is Easter Sunday. It is the most important religious observation for followers of Jesus Christ. 
The main reason we celebrate Christmas is because of Easter. The Come, Follow Me lesson this week will prompt you to study the Savior's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his cleansing of the temple, his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, his crucifixion, his glorious resurrection, and his subsequent appearances to his followers. Savor these sacred verses and find every way you can to thank our Heavenly Father for sending us his only begotten Son. Because of Jesus Christ, we can re repent and be forgiven of our sins. Because of him, each of us will be resurrected. I also invite you to study again the account of the Savior's appearance to the Nephites in the Americas as recorded in 3rd Nephi. Not long before that appearance, his voice was heard among the people, including these words of supplication, quote, Will ye not now return unto me? and repent of your sins and be converted, that I may heal you. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive." Close quote. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ extends that same invitation to you today. I plead with you to come unto him so that he can heal you. He will heal you from sin as you repent. He will heal you from sadness and fear. He will heal you from the wounds of this world. Whatever questions or problems you have, the answer is always found in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Learn more about his atonement, his love, his mercy, his doctrine, and his restored gospel of healing and progression. Turn to him. Follow him. Jesus Christ is the reason we build temples. Each is his holy house. Making covenants and receiving essential ordinances in the temple, as well as seeking to draw closer to him there, will bless your life in ways no other kind of worship can. For this reason, we are doing all within our power to make the blessings of the temple more accessible to our members around the world. Today, I'm grateful to announce our plans to build a new temple in each of the following locations. Recaleleu, Guatemala. Iquitos, Peru. Teresina, Brazil. Natal, Brazil, Tukagaral City, Philippines, 
Iloilo, Philippines, Jakarta, Indonesia, Hamburg, Germany, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, San Jose, California, Bakersfield, California, Springfield, Missouri, Charlotte, North Carolina, Winchester, Virginia, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. My dear brothers and sisters, I bear witness that Jesus Christ directs the affairs of his church. I testify that following him is the only way to enduring happiness. I know that his power is de descending upon his covenant-keeping people, armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. I so testify with my love and blessing for each of you. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.
most gracious, loving, and kind Heavenly Father. At the conclusion of this wonderful weekend of conference, our hearts are filled with gratitude. Thy Spirit has indeed steered our souls. And by its inward shining glow, we have seen the renewal of our goals. Our hearts indeed burn and yearn for service, for the path of duty is made clear. We're grateful, Father, for thy son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning sacrifice, even as we remember this wonderful gift unto the world as we celebrate Easter. We're grateful for the wonderful messages we've had this weekend and how answers have been provided to questions and how revelations have been made clear. We're grateful for our dear prophet, President Rosalind Nelson, for his health, for his leadership, his love for thee and thy son, and indeed his love for us, thy children. We're grateful for the first presidency, and thy apostles and the quorum of the twelve, for their love for thy son and for their example. We ask thee, Father, as we all proceed from this wonderful building 
that thy spirit will be with us, that we will have strength from thy son Jesus Christ to go and live according to that which we have felt today. We pray for the power to be able to follow and live in line with the impressions we've all received. And we asked that continually as we study that we will be yoked to thy son Jesus Christ as we faithfully keep our covenant. We plead with thee, Father, for mercy that thou will bless us with all we need even to follow the path of righteousness. We unitedly at this time pray for those who need thy help in whatever way that is needed. We specially pray for thy apostle, Elder Jeffrey Hart Holland, and his dear wife at this time, that thou will visit them with strength and the recovery that is needed. We pray for those who need to be rescued, that thou will send messengers, instruments in thy hand on the work of rescue and gathering of Israel on both sides of the veil. We are grateful for this weekend. We love thee, Father. We love thy Son. And we know in him we find strength, hope, and rest. And we ask that we will continually be blessed with increased faith in thy Son, Jesus Christ, that we may be able to walk the path of righteousness, even the covenant path, and be able to return to live in thy presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. That is the end of General Conference. We've just enjoyed two days of about oh, nine hours of music, the best music, wonderful sermons, talks, updates, what's happening in the church around the world. And it's just a wonderful time for me personally to just kind of turn off my computer and focus on spiritual matters. And it's always a blessing when conference ends on is on Palm Sunday or Easter. It's always such a gift. Every six months, our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, puts out this conference for two days, the first Saturday and Sunday in April, and then the first Saturday and Sunday in October. And it's something that my family and I have always cherished. And I've, I've listened to it since I was a baby. They used to pipe the talks over the phone line to our meeting houses in Detroit when I was an infant. And so my whole life has been shaped by these messages and the wonderful music from General Conference. And now it's 55 years later and I can listen to it on my phone or my TV and just bask in the glow of all of this wonderful spiritual food. In one of the talks, we were, we were charged to testify more. And so I'm going to end this podcast with my own personal testimony. I know that Jesus lives. He's my best friend. I know that he is going to return to the earth soon in his glory. 
and what is termed his second coming. I know this, and I'm so looking forward to it. And the scriptures were, were told to watch, watch for the signs of his second coming. And boy, they're just everywhere right now. And it's so exciting to think about a thousand years when the government will be on his shoulders, when everything will be organized according to his will. And I don't think that we'll stop living in families or nations or communities. Those will go on, but he will be the sovereign of the world. He helped create it. He was the one who created this world. And so he's the one who gets to be in charge. And that will be such a gift for all of us to have him adjudicating all of the matters, the many, many matters that are in front of us. Um, and it's been prophesied in the scriptures, particularly in Isaiah, but all throughout the scriptures, that this was the time that all the ancient and modern prophets looked forward to with great joy. This time of, of Zion, when all the old things will become new and the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisical glory, become a paradise again in its garden state. And life will be about art and music, babies, families, healing, and peace. And I can tell you that that's what we're all aching for right now. I can feel it. Everybody's aching for it. So I, I know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. His atonement was offered to each individual person as the way to make their way back to Heavenly Father. I know this. I can't do that for anyone else. I can't do it for my husband, my children, my grandchildren, my best friends. Every individual has to make the determination that they want to grasp the blessings that are so freely offered. And why are they offered? Because he loves us. That's it. Heavenly Father loves us. We're his kids. He wants us to spend eternity with him. And so Jesus is the great intercessor, providing a way for us to make things right. We can comfortably stand in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his Father, our Heavenly Father. Comfortably stand. That's my goal. Every day when I get to the end of the day and think about what I said or did during the day, sometimes I blush with shame in how I have behaved. Other days I feel pretty good, but I always check in. How did I do today? Am I okay? Do I, do I need to repent of anything? And then on Sunday, I get this tremendous opportunity to make things right when I partake of the sacrament, to renew my baptismal covenants, to stand in that holiest of places, which is right smack in the middle of the atonement of Jesus Christ renewing my covenants that I made at baptism to bear the burdens of the people in my midst, to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. I promise to do these things. And I do try to do them every day. And then the temple covenants that my husband and I made when we were married, when we were endowed, I always have those on my mind too. What are, what are the promises that I have made? to be true, to be worthy. 
And I want to testify that if you feel unworthy and untrue in your own life, there is a way for you to make things better and make it right. And it is by utilizing the atonement of Jesus Christ in your individual life that you can repent, come unto Jesus Christ and be perfected in him. It's the only way. And the therapeutic state, the psychology world and all the self-help books, they do have a place in our body politic and in the zeitgeist of the moment. They can be helpful, but true healing, spiritual healing comes only through Jesus Christ. And it is the way. He is the truth. And I just challenge you, take on the task of getting on your knees and praying to your Heavenly Father. See if He's there. See if He's listening. You might be surprised. Thank you so much for stopping by my show today. Tomorrow I'm going to go back into my little world online, making my movies, doing my reports, creating podcasts, making my shows, editing my movies, pushing, kind of push, I'm a pushy visionary, pushing, encouraging people towards Zion in the hopes that there others can find healing, wholeness, and peace. That's the goal every day when I wake up and go to work. So I hope you have a wonderful Palm Sunday. In seven days, it will be Easter, the greatest holiday in the world. And I just hope that it's a wonderful week for you as an individual. Looks like I got a caller. Sorry, I wasn't looking at the phone, Brady. Do you really want to join in this? Yes, I'm going to provide some pushback and say that you can experience spiritual, physical, and mental healing, all three types of healing, um, very well and easily without having to subscribe to any God whatsoever. And I've done it myself, and I'm certainly not the only person that's done it. And humans have been doing it for thousands of years without Yahweh. And I thought it was Satan who is the king of deceit and lies. Yes. Yahweh is the one who's lying about being the only God. And he's also lying about the spiritual healing. Like you, you can't even describe the spiritual healing that Jesus or Yahweh provides to you. I just did. did. How is that? How, how let's, let's take someone who's broken, gone through strife, trauma. They have mental problems. They have, uh, emotional problems they have spiritual problems and they have physical problems how is jesus going to help them about a third of his ministry was casting out evil spirits the demons that possess our bodies and our minds okay so those, all the demons have gone from this person now how, how are they how are they better how is that going to help had them? those evil spirits cast out of me by people i love and it helped how did it help i was no longer possessed of evil spirits they mess with but you see what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying is like, you have no tangible way of explaining how something helped you. Where if someone asked me how mushrooms helped me, I'd say, well, I instantly started, uh, realizing the connectivity between all things, the importance of my actions, 
Um, I, you know, it encouraged me to stop smoking, stop drinking, start eating healthier, start being healthier, be a nicer person. Like there's, I could just go on, I can give a whole Ted talk for an hour and then I can even take the scientific aspect of it and said, what, what it did on a scientific level is it restored the function of my glutamate receptors in my brain. Um, that are probably damaged from Lord knows what in the environment, just like anyone else. And with a higher form, with a higher consciousness, it, it made me a better person. I became a higher version of myself. I, I experienced, and I experienced like the heaven that is promised by your religion. I experienced it here on earth while I'm alive. I didn't have to die to get there. So those are the ways that mushrooms have been helpful. And it didn't involve Yahweh one bit. So is the creator of heaven and create the mushrooms that made you whole? Yes. Is that creator Yahweh? Observably not. Who who created those mushrooms? Mushroom spores created those mushrooms along with the food that they consumed in the process of their growth. It wasn't the mushroom that just created the mushroom itself. The mushroom had an interaction with its environment that it created itself with. You understand that, right? I reject that. I believe and all things that are here. here. So you just think Jesus is busy all day making every mushroom in the universe, going around doing every little thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's the creator. Creator. Okay. Um, so let's say my, why doesn't the creator heal the brain cancer of children? I don't know. I don't I'm know. I'm certainly not going to worship him if he doesn't, if he's got better things to do, like, you know, get crack into the hands of violent men and cause them to sexually abuse women. I'm not going to worship this creator at all. I'm going to have, I'm not going to have any reverence for it. As a matter of fact, I would try to destroy it. And, um, uh, put something better in its place. What would be better? Uh, possibly artificial intelligence. Or even just human intelligence. I think putting a democracy in place of some kind of ultimate creator who's in charge of everything because obviously they're 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 doing a shit job of it right now i I think i'd be more comfortable if humans um could destroy at least destroy him so that things could just happen naturally that would be i think a a benefit but arguably that that is the reality that we live in where things are just happening naturally according to universal law and the yahweh plays no role in it whatsoever Those are interesting observations. Say what? Those are interesting observations. I disagree, but, you know, you're free to share what you want. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the goals of Yahweh, what he wants is to restore um, Israelites to their promised land. He wants to initiate Noahide law, right? He wants the Mashiach to return, the war Mashiach and force all the goy to become slaves to the Jewish people. And um, then he, I think he wants to destroy and kill anyone who doesn't succumb to Mosaic law at that point. He wants to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, of his children. That's his goal. 
eternal his life. children are the Jewish people and everyone else are the Goy? Are not his children? Everybody on the earth is one of his kids. He loves us Well, then why would, he, why would he want to destroy his children? Why is he destroying and hurting and tormenting his children? It's not how fathers act. It's not how good fathers act. Uh, every hair on our head, he, he knows, counted. Every breath we take, he's involved in that. He loves you. Exactly. Baby. So why is, why is he torturing he children? You. And why is he raping women? Why is he allowing this to happen? I don't have all the answers. I would, I would offer that he's not real and doesn't exist because if he was anything like a loving father, he wouldn't allow those things to happen. Would you allow someone to rape your child, to murder your child, to give your child brain cancer? No. Then he, this is obvious nonsense. He, he does not exist. Well, I and if he did he exist, he'd be evil. If he did exist, he would be evil and worthy of my judgment. And I would judge him unfit for leadership. I'm sure he'll be interested in hearing that, you know, and at the final judgment, you can tell him all about it. If he ever shows up, I certainly will, but I don't, I'm holding my breath because he's not real. He's observably fake. He's observably a tool that humans who sin against other humans use to hide behind. And they try to justify their sins against other humans uh, behind this God and say, oh, it's the actions of God. God has forgiven me. Oh, you know, I'll still get to heaven, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. But um, humans are, I, I posted a, a chat in the, a link in the chat to a TikTok video of a biologist explaining how anti-abortion laws are giving sexual selection to not only just men, but the very worst men on the planet. And what that means for our biology. It means the potential destruction of mankind. So it's a, it's a, it's a suicidal, it's, it's suicidal to allow rapists to make reproductive decisions. It's suicidal, not just for yourself, but for the entire human species. Every man is going to be accountable that is conceived using his sperm. He's going to be accountable. I, I wish they how were that baby was conceived accountable, but how I, baby I see a lot of treated. baby daddies going around not paying their child support right now. Actually, I'm talking, I'm talking so they're, about they're actually the not being judgment, Brady. Every father Sorry? is going to be responsible for every child he creates. What happens they to that child's mother? Now. They should be what responsible for their child? children now. They shouldn't have to wait until after they die to be responsible. They should be responsible for their children now. Thanks for stopping by, Brady. I'm going to stop the show now, but I appreciate your thoughts. I, w I wouldn't blame you. This is this is toxic and bad and shouldn't be done. Shame on you, Jenny. I love you, but shame on you. <laughs> shame on me for what? For sharing my faith? Yes, for, for promoting a toxic uh, God, an evil God. But I still think you're cool. <laughs> well, thanks. Looks like Dickie wants to say something. Do you want to come Let's up to the top? Do you want to come up to the top? Or okay. Hey, Dickie. Hey, how's it going? Good. I don't think you're a bad person for sharing your faith. And, well, thanks. Uh, that should uh, you shouldn't listen too much to what Brady has to say about that particular type of thing. 
I appreciate that. Yeah. I just thought maybe it, there's people that are hard on you about stuff like that. I, I understand some of the vitriol, and maybe not the vitriol, but some of it, but don't, that's, you know, that's their business, not yours. You know what I'm saying? That's something that they, if they have personal demons or something or resentment, they need to learn to keep that to themselves. About your particular faith, I don't think that quite is quite right. Well, I appreciate that. I really didn't set up this show to have a chat. I wanted to just testify and share the final few minutes of our conference. And it, was I, a spiritual, it was a spiritual feast. And she let me testify too, which is super cool, which is like, as much as I disagree with Ginny, I think she is totally righteous to like be brave enough to endure my questioning and, you know, and then she just stays herself, you know, the whole time. And she has a lot to offer um, completely outside of what she believes. Um, she's, I think, an incredibly effective, uh, I guess, the, at least scientist and explorer of alternate ways to birth, bring humans into the world, which I'm actually very passionate about. And I think is actually uh, counteracting some of the bad stuff that I think that religion causes. So as, as bad or as, as toxic as that religion is, I think that Ginny on her own more than makes up for it with the good that she does on her own. And it has nothing, it has very little to do with the Bible, what she's doing. Um, my, my faith informs faith. Every, and it, my faith informs every bit and particle of my writings and my activism, Brady. Yes, I have, but I would, I, have, I would, I have read the book I would, of Mormon. I would use the word intuition, not faith. I would say it's your intuition so, that informs all I of those I have read things. the book of Mormon over 30 times. This is the foundation. I've read the Bible over and over certain chapters, hundreds of times, certain verses, thousands of times. My faith is wrapped around my beliefs around politics and family life and how families can live happier, more satisfying lives. You know, Jesus Christ said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's from John 10, 10. That verse of scripture is my individual personal witness about who Jesus Christ is and what his mission was, which that we might have life and more abundantly. So I don't spend a lot of time talking about abortion or death culture or the things that bring just devastation to families. I don't I don't spend a lot of time on that. I do spend some especially around abuse and torture and the whole, you know, satanic ritual side of things. But most of the time, what I'm sharing is just good, solid information that I believe if young couples will embrace some of my ideas. And honestly, the people I'm most concerned about embracing them are my own kids who are all right now having their first babies. Um, I believe that it, their pregnancies go better. They have better births. They bond with the baby better after the baby's born. These are all good things. And so that's that's really why I spend so much time talking about it. Well, I would like to hear you more talk more about because I'm so well versed in the whole Christian thing. Like, you know, I, I started life as Presbyterian and then I was Southern Baptist. I was confirmed as a Lutheran. I had a girlfriend who was Catholic. I dated Knights of Columbus. I have friends who are Knights of Columbus. I've I've been on a date with a priest from Harvard. Divinity School. Yeah. The the Harvard School. Did I ever tell you that story, Jenny? He's gonna crack no. you up. No. This is the weirdest story. So I was in H E B one day, and 
there was a Time magazine about Jesus, and I was picking it up and I was reading it, just kind of seeing what's in there. But time, I was interested in the Time magazine perspective of Jesus. You know, like what's going on here? And uh, so, some guy in line behind me was like, "Oh, you're interested in Jesus?" Blah blah blah. I'm like, "Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a mystic Christian." But um, he, he's like, "Oh, what's a mystical Christian?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's just someone that has like a like a metaphorical interpretation of the scripture and blah blah blah." And so a couple weeks later, I bump into this guy at HUB again. He goes, oh, hey, what's going on? How's it going? He's like, hey, if you ever want to get together, talk about Jesus or God, uh, I'm totally down. Uh, he goes, I was actually a Harvard professor of theosophy, not theosophy, but theology. And uh, I recently got fired from Harvard. And so I'm in town here looking for another job uh, as a professor and trying to, you know, make some friends and get to know the place. And I'm like, all right, cool, dude. Yeah, that's actually sounds like a cool afternoon, dude. So I gave him my number and um, took off, didn't think anything of it. I got home and I'm like, hmm, you know, like, I hope this guy doesn't think this is a gay date. You know, like, I'm just going to make sure that he doesn't. So I text, I sent him a text. I'm like, hey, got, uh, you know, just so you know, I'm not gay. This isn't a gay, I don't want to like, you know, ruin your night or anything. I don't know what your expectations are, but just to be clear, I'm not gay. <laughs> no hard feelings if you are. Nothing against you. I'm still time, I'm still down to talk about God, blah, 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 but it's just not me. He goes, oh, yeah, no, I'm not gay either. I just want to talk about Jesus. Okay. So I meet him up at Starbucks. We start talking about God and Jesus and God's wife, uh, Ashera, and the covenant of Jacob and all kinds of interesting things. And I start to realize this man has zero knowledge of what I'm talking about. Very basic stuff. He's never read the Apocrypha. Wow. Um, he has, he's never read the Talmud. He, know, he has, he has he no know, knowledge did he know, of did his he know what the own religion is? whatsoever. Sorry? Did he know what the Apocrypha is or was? He knew of the Apocrypha. He had never read any of it. And I find that to be disturbing for a Harvard professor of theology. And I expect them to read the Apocrypha, right? Yes, yeah, seriously. And so I was shocked by that. And second, I was shocked by the fact that he was fired from Harvard for uh, when he lost his priesthood at the Catholic Church because he wanted to explore. He wanted to explore romantic relationship. He wanted to give up his vows of celibacy. Essentially, he was tired of celibacy. So he gave up his celibacy, and because of that, he lost his priest class. And because he was no longer a priest with the Vatican, um, Harvard fired him because of that. And that was his story, at least. And I was disturbed by that as well. And then it said, as, as the story goes on, it turns out he, he, he didn't really know much at all. He didn't impress me as a scholar, you know. So I thought you might find that story just interesting. I think it was a gay date. I think he was really gay. I think he, I think he thought that I was lying or that I was curious. I, I don't think he believed me when I told him I wasn't gay. I think he was really just interested in me is the feeling what, I got. Um, from the what do you think he spent his time in school doing? What did, what, what did he, well, the you Latin know, and Greek and, you know, read the gospels in the original language. I don't know what was going on. I'm, I don't know what they were teaching him, but. I mean, it must have just been basic stuff. They must have just gone over the basic Bible and just kind of given him a basic interpretation. I mean, you could turn anything into a college course, you know what I mean? Underwater basket weaving, you know what I mean? And 
I think that they're just doing a, a terrible job of educating and informing people, even at institutions like Harvard. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I'm going to share with you a link to a section of the Doctrine and Covenants that shares our view on the Apocrypha and how seriously we should take it and if it's important, you know, to salvation and basically, you know, how do we feel about it as Mormons? And so it's just interesting to read. But I'm actually looking forward to the many plain and precious things that we know have been taken out of the scriptures. And I've theorized that some of the books that are missing are the women who wrote a book and it would have been so easy for them to just pull out for them to just pull out all those women's books. And I think, you know, yes. we're going to eventually get them and they're going to contain a lot, yes. a lot of really good information. Yes, 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 yes. The Holy Spirit is God's wife. You know, the, the Holy Trinity is mother, father and child. And that is the key to immortality right there. The key to immortality is having a baby. That's it. That's the closest thing we have to immortality. That is the promise of immortality and, and God and union with God and heaven lies between a woman's legs and all that stuff. Women are the portals to new life and they should be venerated and treated as such. And so that well, we can have nice, healthy babies. I see, Brady, moms being seduced away from hearth and home, from their kitchens, from their babies as being evil. And it's why I'm so anti-feminist. I believe that moms should be at home with their babies at least until they're three and ideally until they're six. And that when they you know, are out of the home and they're working and babies in the care of someone else, it messes with the kid. I, I believe that with my whole soul. And so this is something I just constantly am harping on and, and have for a long time. You know, I've met so many feminists who they just, they just hate my guts because I won't shut up about it. But, you know, I, I speak out because I think the babies need us to speak for them. Who will, who will share this message? It's so anti-intuitive and anti-popular. I mean, it's just like, you are the most evil person with feminists if you talk this way. Oh, oh I am unmuted, so I had to check my, my mic. Um, you said feminists are some of the most evil people? I, um, I didn't hear your question. My, my daughter came in. What? Oh, did you say that feminists were some of the most evil people? I'm saying anyone who's seducing a mother away from her children, I don't think they have her good and, you know, her well-being. And, okay, and well, what about the people seducing their fathers away from their children? Because that's happening, I'd, I'd, I'd offer even more so. The fathers are much more absent from their children's lives than the mothers have been. I wouldn't place any blame on the mothers in this situation. Well, I just think the whole big picture is bad for babies. And if we can, if we can get parents, parents, parents yeah. more focused on their babies, that's, that's the ideal world. That's where yeah. I would offer that you should probably talk to the men first on that one. Well bonded and, you know, by the people who have the most, you know, the most interest in them. Nobody's ever, and I've said this to my friends that they've been tempted to get divorced. I was like, you're always going to be connected to your husband Marrying someone else isn't going to fix your problems. You know, mostly, of course, sometimes there's somebody. If you're getting divorced for the dumbest reasons. Oh. Yeah, I know what you mean. Think it through, you know, 
if, if you can possibly you know, it's like, make yeah, it work. They could actually with, try and, you know, it, with they the would probably find your children. Yeah. That's, that's better long-term. And I have several friends who stuck it out with their husband. Or at least, at least, at least until the kid's old enough to take care of themselves. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to stay together forever, but just stay to, keep it together long enough for the kid to have a good childhood. And then, you know, after, after the kid's doing good and they got their own thing going, then talk about seeing other people is what I, the way I see it. But Brady, the friends who stuck with their husbands and now their grandparents, divorce papers in her car for years you know, driving around thinking, I just can't make it work. She is the most vocal about this topic now because, you know, they went through some really hard times together and I was the one who was always there. Just stick it out. You'll be okay. You get over this hard part, you know, and now she is so happy and they've got grandchildren and they had seven kids together. And I mean, it's just like a miracle that they made it, but they made it. And it was me describing to her, what her life was going to look like. And this is how it is for so many women. They get divorced. Divorce, marry some I else. tell you, yeah. I know a woman who went through the same story you're telling me. She got divorced, married to another guy, had kids with him. And then he ended up dying recently. And then she ended up dying just a few days ago after well, him, a few months most, after him. Most, most women with young children, they have a very difficult time finding a partner as good as their first mm -hmm. partner. And so the first yep. partner will marry somebody else. I would offer, woman, the, but dude, she found a guy that was better than the first one. She well, that's, objectively that's found unusual. a guy that was twice as good as her first baby daddy. So she really had it going on. She, you know, she really had it there for a minute. And then somehow or another, he died. I don't know how, um, no one's really talking about it, but um, uh, well, he passed is... away and then she passed away shortly after him. And yeah, it, it just kind of go, goes to the point that, like, maybe she would have been better just sticking with her first choice, you know? Like, and I, I, you know what I blame a lot of the situations that we're facing today on is that movie Knocked Up. Like, after yeah. that movie Knocked Up came on, like, a lot of people thought that that's how the shit's going to work. And a lot of people started having babies that way. I don't, maybe it's always been that way. This is the fact. But not, Knocked Up is a perfect example of, of what's happening with our culture is we're allowing alcohol to make the reproductive decisions. No one's making reproductive decisions in a sober state of mind. I think that's a disaster. Well, when, when a couple consciously conceives a baby and there's a fabulous book called conscious conception, and then they plan, you know, the birth and they have this holistic birth and then here's the baby and they're taking care of it together. I think that is best for the baby. Now, does that mean that gay parents are not good parents? No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, but there, there is something that's contributed to each child from the mom and the dad. And so I reject the idea that, you know, you can dispense with the father and your kid will be just fine. Those kids who grow up with just women around, they get hungry for the, a, a male figure in their life. They really do. And so just kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, we'll just get artificially inseminated. Won't even ever have to deal with men. I think that's very short sighted. Sorry, I'm texting a homegirl right now who thinks she has autism. That's okay. I need to wind it down anyway because I was not planning on having a show. Show. I was just gonna share the conference. Oh well, yeah, it's just it good off. to talk to you. Yeah, good, yeah, it's good awesome. to talk to you as always. As much as I disagree with you, I love you. I think you're great and love awesome. You too, I really do. From the bottom I of my heart, will, I think you're the coolest. <laughs> I think it will be a good day for you when you pull that Book of Mormon off the shelf.
and start reading it. I like, have it. It's sitting right over there waiting for our debate. We got to do that. Honestly, I really am looking forward to our Mormon debate one day. I want to see what the hell you're talking about in there because well, if, I'm going to be real with you. you. I haven't read the, the time, whole thing yet, but it's it's not a long read, so I, I totally it, can. It is a long read. It's 500 pages. It's if not, you read it's anything, not that long. If you read anything, read Third Nephi. That's my personal favorite book in the Book of Mormon. There's right like 11 books. Well, Third I'll read them all. You know, if, if you want to try to schedule it again, we can take a shot at it, and uh, I'll try to go through the whole thing before then. Okay. Why don't we shoot for next? Well, you know, month I'll sometime. I'll try to go through the whole thing. Let's put it this way: I'll try to go through the whole thing, and I'll let you know as soon as I do. Yeah, just DM me and let me know when you're ready, and we'll. Uh, that we'll sounds have our cool. That sounds right. cool. Looking forward to it. You might convert me into Mormonism. <laughs> no, I don't do you the converting. No Mormon. It's not. Say what? It's not me, the Mormon who converts. It's the Holy Spirit. Oh, you-, you don't have to lie to me. How many points do you guys get for converting uh, a demonic hippie like me? <laughs> it's not what it's about. It's really not for don't me. Don't lie. I mean, I, don't don't no, lie. I know they're I, giving away extra communion wine for the people that, with the most conversions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't even use wine. We drink water. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. See, they give the real wine to the people with the highest conversions. <laughs> you got to get your numbers up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, you have a great week and happy Easter. Hey, likewise, he is risen in me. Better believe. Well, I think you'll you'll be surprised at what you feel when you read that book. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that because um, I am interested in Freemasonry as well, and it has a, a Masonic element to that book. Mm, not sure it does, but. Whatever. We could talk about that in the debate because it is interesting. Yeah, we can. All right. Take care. Looking forward to the girl. Have a great week. You too. Bye.